I'm Megan Bob, and I'm here to understand the mysteries of wrestling. And I'm Miles, and I'm here to help. With the aid of my favorite wrestling show, this is The Next Wrestling Fan, an NXT review podcast for would-be wrestling fans who don't know where to start, and current wrestling fans who want to relive the magic of that first time. This week, we slice and dice the episode of NXT that originally aired on December 11th, 2013. In this episode, Leo Kruger continues his quest to join the Real Americans, mm. the Ascension continue their quest to eat the tag team division, <laughs> and Bailey continues her quest to find friendship. Welcome to episode 30 of The Next Wrestling Fan, a podcast of fights and feels. Last episode, we met some Canadians and learned some stuff about Canadian wrestling. This episode, Natalia is back for a tag team match, and Sami Zayn does have a date with Leo Kruger, but there are numerous other nationalities involved as well, from mm. the British guy's beef with the Swiss guy, to the Transylvanian lovers feud against a Latino and a Tongan pretending to be a Latino to a couple of dumbass Americans running into each other and yelling a lot, as Americans do. <laughs> That's the only way I know how to cross a street. <laughs> Fortunately, Bob's breakdown doesn't recognize borders, so we'll cover all of that before getting into the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. We'll also have another edition of Wrestling History of the Week. Yay. Take another crack at the cheap pop quiz, and sadly, ring the bell for one of our friends here in NXT. Oh my gosh. But before any of that, we need to determine the results from last episode's cheap pop quiz. Bob is in her fourth <laughs> round of quizzing. Yeah. Uh, last episode, we started off anew, started the fourth round off afresh. Let's see if she picked up any points in her first foray into round four. Question number one. Next episode kicks off with a tag team championship match between Hunico and Camacho and The Ascension. What is the result? Is it A, The Ascension win? Duh. B, Hunico and Camacho pull off the upset victory and are your new tag team champions. C, the match never actually happens because The Ascension beat up Hunico and Camacho on their way to the ring. D, Hunico and Camacho win by disqualification after Connor O'Brien refuses to release his submission finisher despite the fact that Hunico has made it to the ropes. Or E, the match is ruled a no contest after interference from Enzo and Cass. Bob, you went with Enzo and Cass. The correct response was A, the Ascension win, duh. But wouldn't E have been great? It would have been wonderful. <sighs> was not the case. No, alas, no. Question number two. The title match isn't the only tag team contest on the next episode because it's time for Sasha and Summer Rae to take on Bailey and her mystery partner. Who is it? A. Paige. B. Emma. C. Natalia. D. A wrestler from the main roster named Caitlyn, which is not the answer, but she is a person. Or E. <laughs> Charlotte. Bob, you selected A. Paige. Sadly, you are incorrect once again, and the answer is C. Natalia. I was really glad it was Natalia in the end. I think I remember you saying something about how you would be happy if it was Natalia. Yeah, although, God, Paige needs to take down the BFF real bad. Question number three. Next episode, we get another crucial piece of backstory for our favorite flossing mechanic, Scott Dawson. In addition to being a wrestler, Dawson is also what, according to William Regal? 
A. A champion bowler. B. A master cobbler. C. An award-winning gardener. D. A lovely calligrapher. Or E. A demolitions expert. Uh, Bob, you selected C despite having a suspicion that I put C in there uh, basically to bait you into selecting that <laughs> one because garden plots with Skeletor is a thing. Um, on that, you were correct. Okay, well, um, uh, you know, I guess that's more karma points for me. <laughs> uh, the actual answer to the question, unfortunately, but also very fortunately, is B, a master cobbler. Oh, God. Which really seems like an answer I threw in to try and get you because it's a very Bob thing to be, I feel like. You yes, know, like a master I'm a cobbler big, is like I'm big fan of cobblers, both as yeah. like a pie thing and as a shoe thing. But uh, that is actually the answer. Regal tells us that Dawson is a master cobbler. I don't know if this is the case. I haven't seen that many cobblers in the United States. I feel like I saw a bunch of them whenever I did study abroad. Like mm-hmm. there were so many people who did cobbling <laughs> it, at in the town I lived in in Northern Island. I lived in Coleraine for anybody desperately interested. But the thing is that they're all cobblers also do locksmith work and like key cutting and stuff. So I was oh, like, okay. is that a thing that's a thing over here? Or is that just a thing I think is a thing? I don't know. I know people like have like boot repair shops and stuff, but I'm not sure if that's technically considered cobbling anyway. <laughs> this has been Cobbling Minute with Miles yes. and Bob. And as always, now that we're finished with Cobbling Minute, we move into <laughs> Bob's breakdown. No, you want to take that again because otherwise you can't cut it. No, I don't. I want to leave it in. Okay. I do this to myself all the time. I make up random segues into the breakdown with shit that I wish I could cut, but I can't because my segue and I'm just going to continue setting myself up for failure. So let me have this. (laughs) Okay. Before I say anything else, I do want to say that our podcast is entering its dirty 30s. Which is, mm. as we know, the horniest time in a podcast tenure. Absolutely. So I'm not sure how horny it's going to be, but I just want to, you know, put that out there that we're sort of entering prime dirty martini drinking time. We're going to really get out there and sort of explore our, our dating preferences. It's going to be it's going to be pretty sexy. I'm thoroughly enjoying my actual 30s, and I suspect I'll enjoy the 30s of this podcast possibly even more. All right, match one. Hunico and Camacho are ready to challenge for the NXT Tag Team title, a.k.a. the title that NXT only intermittently remembers is a thing. <laughs> and they're up against the vampire lovers, the Ascension, and Rick Victor is wearing his Eye of Horus crotch cape, so you know he means business. At least they, like, send them out with the championships. Some wrestling companies, like, when they decide they really don't care about a title anymore, they just don't even send them out with a title. Oh, my God. That's... In fact, we may or may not be getting to that a little bit later. <laughs> oh, Jesus. All right. Camacho and Victor start in the ring, and normally people think that werewolves are the enemies of vampires, but it's actually people who work at Sears. They are all that stands between us, Miles, and a world ruled by the fangs of the undead. If they work at Sears, Bob, would you personally call them werewolves? Because they... That Sears is like a clothing shop that they're you oh, wear. Oh, god damn it, Miles! Yes, I would. <laughs> <sighs> yes, I would. So Camacho is doing well. He's raining down blows on Victor until Victor tears Camacho's shirt to actual shreds. And Camacho just does this little howl in rage. And then Miles, wait. 
Are mm. Sears employees actually werewolves? I mean, as we've addressed, they are certainly werewolves, but are they right. werewolves? I mean, I think that varies by the individual. Well, I was going to say, I have never been to Sears on a full moon. So mm. are they open I don't remember the last moons? time I was in Sears, period. So I'm not <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, right. Hashtag unpopular conspiracy theories. <laughs> Victor rallies for a second, the scent of warm flesh increasing his vampiric strength. But then Camacho is like, Nah. And lifts nah. Victor into a slam and tagging off to Hunico, who flips over the corner and right into Victor's gut. And Victor responds by whipping Hunico into the ropes. And when they collide, Hunico gets lifted up and twirled around Rick Victor's head like an umbrella in a Broadway musical. I realize that's a really weird reference, but I just want to say, if you've seen a musical and there were umbrellas in it, you know exactly what I mean. I know what you mean. Oh, okay. I'm picking All up right. what you're putting down. Yay! And it's an umbrella, to be clear. Hunico lands lightly, but that doesn't save him from Victor's dropkick. And then back from commercial. Connor O'Brien, the beefiest vampire, has Hunico down on the mat and then lifts him up with one ripped arm and drives him into the corner. And he trades off to Victor, who does a backbreaker, trying to snap that Sears werewolf like a twig. Well, he's not going to take that lying down. So Hunico picks up Victor from the mat and smashes him back down and makes the hot tag to Camacho, who runs at the now tagged in Connor O'Brien and knocks him down. Knocking down Connor O'Brien is a serious feat that I don't know that we've seen done very often. Because he's a big man. He is. You know, he may drink blood. But the other thing that he drinks is creatine shakes. The, the only two sources of sustenance he receives. Camacho is on fire. He hoists up O'Brien and suplexes him to his back. He goes for a pin, but Victor breaks it up and then takes out Hunico in the corner. So O'Brien and Victor do their top and bottom takeout of Camacho, a.k.a. the fall of man, and Victor pins Camacho for the win. So is this feud blown off now? And if so... What the hell is NXT going to do to keep the tag team division relevant? Slash, do they care if it's relevant? Uh, I'm going to wait till the next episode, I think, to answer both those questions. Oh, boy. The two ways I can imagine this going are somewhat well, like modestly (laughs) okay, and horrendously. Not good. That's not one of the options. No. Speaking of not good. Match two. (laughs) Rusev versus Cassius Ono. I want Cassius Ono to win, but against Rusev, that feels very unlikely. And uh, mm. that premonition, that twinge in my knee, yep. uh, it was correct because uh, Cassius Ono comes to the ring and he has that black Kinesio tape on his back. And yep. so it's only moments into it before we see Rusev hold Cassius Ono like an enormous child and then knee his kidneys into a paste and drop him onto his back. And then the back attack gets turned up to 11 as Rusev cradles Ono chest to chest and just grips savagely against Ono's low back. And Ono rallies enough for two pin attempts, but Rusev has done his damage and he locks in the camel clutch, laying deep into Ono's back that's already been pounded like a cheap steak, and Ono taps out. But Rusev will not let go until Lana calls him off. And Ono looks near tears. I am so unhappy why is Rusev being such a fuck waffle? I get that he's a heel, but like, this is just mean now. I think it's to impress Lana, you know? Oh, yeah. okay. She's I think she's so- the kind of person who is impressed by mindless, senseless violence. Okay. So was like, At no. least that's how she seems to be. Yeah, she seems to have a real vicious streak, but I was like, why would anybody want to see Cassius Ono cry? Like, the only thing I want to see, okay, if I have to see Cassius Ono cry, 
this came to me in a vision just now, Miles. <laughs> if I have to see Cash Zono cry, I only want to see him cry as part of a montage in a music video that's a love ballad by Celine Dion. <laughs> I'm just putting it out there. That's all. Near, I just far, <laughs> wherever <laughs> you are. I will strike you with my elbow and knock you unconscious. Oh, man. Anyway. Uh, (laughs) Majestic. Also, a quick note about the camel clutch. As we, I think, find out in this episode, although it might have been mentioned before, when Rusev does it, it is called the accolade. That's right. The accolade. A word that I usually remember how to spell. For some reason, I get it. No, we're not going to get into my weird spelling issues. English is a dumb language. I know it has two C's in it. Don't tell me on Twitter how to spell accolade. I have spell check. I don't care. So backstage. Natalia is the greatest person in the world. <laughs> she gives Bailey the best pep talk, promising that she and Bailey are going to have so much fun in their tag team match. And they chant, I think I can. I know I can. And my heart <laughs> pretty much bursts because Natalia is such a pure soul. And this is sort of a weird point to focus on. But I did want to ask, since it's the first I've heard of it. Do other people ever reference that this job is fun? Because I don't feel like they do. Like, that's not allowed. You can't say, oh, man, we're going to have such a fun match. It's like, no, we're going to have a brutal, dominating, I don't know, other words from the ruthless aggression era. (laughs) Ruthless, possibly. Yeah, ruthless, um, veiny, really veiny. It does come up on other occasions, usually in the context of like, I love this business. I love what Aww. I do. There's nothing I love more than being in the ring every night and entertaining everybody, you know, that kind of thing. Aww. But also, I tend to love it when, like, two wrestlers have a match and it's, like, really good. And at the end of the match, no matter what their alignments are, and this happens uh, a f- with some frequency in, like, later NXT, I want to say. I'm not okay. sure how much it happens in early NXT. But I really love it when, like, regardless of alignments after the match, like, the guy who lost or even the guy who won calls out the other guy who's like, hey, that was fun. Let's do that again. And like, that's how they set up the rematch. They'll just be like, I really like enjoy fighting you. You push me to my limit and you challenge me. Let's do it again. It's one of my favorite things in wrestling. My heart. Yes, I want that. Wrestlers do reference the job being fun. That's good. I'm happy. And then an update from last week. We revisit Cesaro beating up Byron Saxton for pretty much no goddamn reason, except to lure (laughs) William Regal out. Yeah. And then Tom Phillips goes to Regal for commentary and Regal just stares dead ahead and says calmly that Cesaro has a problem with him and that there's no need to take it out on Byron Saxton. Just kind of coldly menacing. I love it. Yeah, it's pretty good. He doesn't even say I want to fight you. He just says, like, there's no need to take it out on other people. Like, come find me. He doesn't even say that part. The unsaid part. Many fanfic feelings about that. Many fanfic feelings. Match three. Bailey and Natalia versus Summer Rae and Sasha Banks. My farmer's only bride is so good and I love her. And Natalia might be <laughs> one of my faves now. I'm not sure. But Sasha and Bailey start out in the ring and Bailey is furious, rightly so. And she jumps onto Sasha's back and then drills her down to the mat and then takes her over to Natalia for a team up suplex. And Sasha runs to tag in Summer Rae, who gets her own team up suplex from Natalia and Bailey. And then Summer Rae dives at Sasha to tag her back in, which is what you get for being mean. (laughs) 
And Bailey takes a couple of hits. But when Natalia gets tagged in, Sasha gets suplexed into the next time zone. And then Natalia locks in the sharpshooter, bending Sasha Banks like a very photogenic pipe cleaner. Mm. And Summer Rae charges to the rescue, kicking Natalia, who tags in Bailey. And Bailey comes in hot, runs to the corner to take out Summer Rae, and then heads for Sasha, who ducks. And with the miracle of Sasha's finisher, bankrupt, which is just fun. It's whenever they face away from one another, like it's pistols at dawn, except that you both fall back at the same time in a way that you really hope is going to destroy your opponent's neck. Yeah, it's called a neckbreaker. I thought it was a neckbreaker. Yeah, it's kind of a basic move for a finisher, but uh, Sasha will be getting a better one uh, as the oh. as the days go on. Bailey is pinned to end the match, and Hot Mean Girls claim another victory. And Natalia looks so emotionally wounded and distressed by this experience, and I hate it. And no one should ever <laughs> make Natalia unhappy. Like she doesn't deserve that. And then backstage with Leo Kruger, I don't really care about any of it except. That we are so close up on his face that I can't stop staring at his eyes. And yeah, he does. He says some words. I mean, he says tough <laughs> Sammy, which is the most important thing. But oh, my God, those sea green eyes like Miles. He doesn't mm. even have to hunt with a weapon. He can pierce his prey with a single gaze. <laughs> those eyes are magical. He just does talk about how he wants to be a real American still for some reason. So match number four, Scott Dawson versus Mojo Raleigh. And they come out, and that's fine. (laughs) Basically. (laughs) The crowd is fine with it. The crowd's not, they're not disinterested. They don't leave. This is Scott Dawson and Mojo Raleigh. I mean, it's, you know, it's fine. Yeah. The bell goes, and Scott Dawson has Raleigh against the ropes, and then right up Raleigh's nose. And Raleigh, (laughs) I mean, as Miles pointed out, he's not remaining hyped. Mm. especially as Dawson locks in a chin hold and capitalized on it with a suplex. And Raleigh finds his, his misplaced sense of hypitude there a little bit later on reverses an Irish whip to chuck Dawson into the corner and do a big old body check on him. And then that finishing butt dunk to the chest of a prone Dawson Raleigh pins him for a three count and the flossing mechanic is sadly defeated. And Dawson Mm. attacks Raleigh after the bell goes though Thoroughly roughing him up before leaving, uh, because team flossing for life, Raleigh. I don't know. You mentioned the height thing. I just think for Mojo, it's like they give him this character where it seems like you want him to be wrestling a certain kind of match. And then you kind of like just do the usual thing where the heel beats him up for a while and then he comes back and wins. And it's like that doesn't if you're going to do the get hype, stay hype thing, I feel like he has to be. I don't know. I feel, just feel like the match has to be a little bit less formulaic for that character to work for me. Yeah, I agree. Otherwise, it just feels like, well, that's not really the, your character. Then that's just a thing you say. Yeah, because like other people, their characters are like their characters don't necessitate a different kind of match. But I feel like with Mojo, it really yeah. does. And the fact that they're not giving it to him makes it not work, you know, because he doesn't really have anything else. Match number five. The main event, and it's Leo Kruger versus Sami Zayn, and the crowd isn't nearly as hot on Kruger as they have been in the past. They just seem sort of like, Mm. "Eh, eh, Kruger. Yeah. I don't know. I just thought that was weird, because, like, for a while, they were kind of into him. It may turn out that that was more to do with how much they hated Bo, because I think they were into Mm. him when he was going up against Bo, and he had that really good match with Cesaro, um, but definitely the crowd seems to be less into the entire Leo Kruger thing right now. Yeah, it seems like all they have eyes for right now is really Tyler Breeze and Sami Zayn, and that's it. <laughs> so the bell goes, and Kruger and Zayn just kind of fall on top of each other and roll around on the mat doing a wrestle. 
Mm-hmm. And it's very much doing a wrestle because they are just sort of like rolling on top of one another and then rolling on top of the other one and doing just some like, you know, arms to the face. Kruger didn't come here for that, though. He came here to win. So he lifts Sammy into a spine buster and then just kicks him out of the ring to the outside. Mm-hmm. And he gets on the outside and follows him and Kruger drives Sammy's spine into the ring apron. That's yeah. not Tata levels of evil, though. What is Tata levels of evil is throwing Sami Zayn from overhead down onto his back on the padding outside of the ring. Padding that, unlike the ring, does not have a spring in it to cushion some of the impact. That's correct. (sighs) I mean, I know it's got that little layer of padding on it, that like one and a quarter inches of foam. It just seems like that would not be a significant help. Just think about those eyes, Bob. He can't be that bad. Think about those eyes. You know, you make a good point. Who could be Mm. evil with eyes that green? Yeah, and I don't think it's possible. Only if you have red eyes are you truly evil. (laughs) Or like really, really blue ones. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Ooh, spooky blue ones. So back in the ring, Zane comes back with his Street Fighter leap into a dropkick. And now it's Kruger's turn on the outside as Zane follows him around like the chop police. (laughs) And he does the highest flying crossbody at Kruger. He's got Kruger back in the ring and he's going to dance along the ropes and do that gorgeous tornado DDT where he makes it look like it's not a big deal that he can just balance on the top rope. But Kruger moves Zane's foot, causing Zane to fall crotch first onto the top rope. Shawadi Wadi, as Shawadi puts it. Kruger does his cricket slice on Zane and pins him for the win. Poor doggo. That's real unfortunate. Yeah, kind of strange seeing Kruger just like hit a move on Sammy and pin him. I, I wasn't expecting that. This main event's like, I don't think even five minutes long. Yeah, it's a very short main event and it kind of deserves to be. It's not the end of the feud. I'll tell you that mm-hmm. much here. So Okay, good, good. Well, thank you so much for that breakdown. Uh, thoughts on this episode? Natalia's great. The main event was fine, and I wasn't really sure why it was the main event. Why wouldn't the tag team thing have been the main event? That was arguably more yeah, interesting. I don't know. And so it was fine, but it seemed like out of order. So whenever we got to that Kruger versus Zayn match that was so short and sort of not noteworthy, I was just like, oh, that's fine. I mean, I was sad for Sami Zayn, but other than that, I didn't have any emotions about it. Yeah, I I didn't really love this episode, to be honest. It's full of like short matches and like small steps forward in a few different stories. But like, yeah, really feels fillery in a way that an NXT rarely does, I thought. Yeah, I agree. I feel like every fifth episode is one of these, which if you're, yeah. you know, ratio is five to one, that's pretty good. It's pretty good. All right, well, we go from something that's pretty good, Bob, to something that is less good <gasps> because it is time to ring the bell. Okay. And I'm sorry to tell you that on this episode, we are ringing the bell for Cassius Ono. Oh my god, that's how he goes out? Yeah, uh, sadly, this is the final Cassius Ono appearance from his first run in NXT. Despite all the stuff we've talked about before regarding NXT's problems with his weight, Ono has always maintained that his release was amiable and that the door was always open for a return down the road, citing his fitness level during his last several NXT matches as evidence that they had gotten past the whole gym commitment thing. Now, whether or not that's actually true, what is true is that Ono went back to the independents almost immediately, 
returning to his previous name of Chris Hero. Yeah. And proceeded to gain a bunch of weight. Yeah. <laughs> Completely reinventing his character and his wrestling style. And the independent fans loved it so much that about three years after his release here, Hero rode a wave of audience goodwill right back into NXT, where he resumed calling himself Cassius Ono and finally got to wrestle on television like the beautiful surfer chonk he was always meant to be. Oh, he's so great. And we'll talk more about that a very, very long time from now. <laughs> <laughs> Yay, future me is excited. Uh, yes, but present you, sadly, is going to have to I know. Uh, deal with a, uh, the absence of Cassius for a significant period of time. Oh. Also should mention that, like, as we record this, WWE did fire him again recently, so, God you know. damn it. <laughs> I'm sure he'll figure, he'll land on his feet because he's so friggin' great, but still. Absolutely. All right, Bob. Well, with that, it is now time for the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. So, Megan, Bob, in this episode, what did your elf eyes see? At the end of the tag team match, Rick Victor is pinned Camacho and Connor O'Brien comes over and puts his hands on Rick Victor's shoulder. And you can see that Connor O'Brien has uh, black nail polish on. And I just really love nail polish on a man because it looks classy and sassy. Well, there you go. Yeah, it was really cute. Good job, Connor O'Brien. Yeah, and I also really like to think, did he practice and paint those himself, which is adorable because it takes skill to do that and it's hard to do on the first time. Oh, or God, yes. does Rick Victor paint them for him? Because either way, it's cute. Maybe that's why Rick Victor wears those like steampunk goggles so he doesn't get any of the nail polish in his eyes. Oh, jeez. That'd be horrifying. I don't know if that's like a regular hazard of painting one's nails, but... I would say not unless you take a really yeah. slapdash approach to it, but God, if you did, you would never forget it. I've rarely seen Sharon put on protective eye gear when uh, preparing <laughs> that process. Miles, what did your elf I see? Just uh, I'm gonna talk some more about Sasha Banks here, as I as I frequently do, because <laughs> I, I love her. She's one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. Um, specifically, there are two things. I, her look in this episode, she's kind of getting more uh, accessories. Yeah. And um, she is getting closer to sort of the final form, her final NXT form, in which she will achieve greatness uh, in terms of her physical appearance right now. Also, in terms of just her attitude, one of my favorite things about the tag team match was that at the beginning, Sasha and Bayley uh, start out, and Sasha, like, completely ignores Bayley and walks right past her to talk shit to Natalia, who's the one she, like, perceives as the actual threat, and that's when oh. Bayley jumps on her back. And I just, I really <laughs> yeah. loved that, uh, that moment in that match right at the beginning but it like really does so much to establish the relationship between Sasha and Bailey, you know, and Sasha is this arrogant prick who doesn't think Bailey's worth her time and immediately goes after the, the person who's been on the main roster, you know, whereas Bailey is just like constantly fighting to prove yeah. that she belongs in this company while the announcers are saying things like, you know, she needs to be less nice or whatever. I have a lot of feelings about uh, Sasha and I have a lot of feelings about uh, the relationship between her and Bailey, uh, and I noticed a few things in this episode that speak to that. Oh, that's very interesting. I love it. All right, Bob, what did your Vulcan ears hear? And is it Alex Riley? It is Alex Riley. I don't know if this is <laughs> one of the ones you heard, because there was a lot of weird shit to choose from. This is from A-Rai. I made a derogatory comment about Sylvester LaFour's hair and how <laughs> greasy it was, and this man had the audacity to stop me in the hall and correct me, and it really upset me for a minute, William. But then when I walked away, I kind of liked it. And William Regal just says, what was the point of that? <laughs> I 
And we never know. We don't know because the match starts. And then is this Alex Riley covertly advertising to Regal that he has a shame kink and like William Regal should kind of like needle that? What is this? He's just like, I got publicly shamed a little bit and I was kind of hot for it. And you're like, what the fuck, Alex Riley? We could really probably just rename this segment like dunking on Alex Riley. Like, because that's what I'm about to do as well. And like, I'll just get into it because there were too many to choose from. I had such a hard time choosing. And not only that, but like William Regal is fed up with his shit. Yeah, he's not (laughs) into it. I think it's during the Mojo uh, Dawson match. Riley is like talking about football and how Mojo Riley played football. Oh, God. And Regal is like getting on him about like explaining why any of this matters and explaining why it's important that he played football. I think Riley's talking about like all the talents like you like in sports, there's five talents or whatever that you have, like in baseball or something like that. And Regal's just like, is that why you're on commentary now, Alex? And no longer <gasps> in the ring. Oh, yeah, that was such a sick burn. Riley kind of sulkily is like, I, 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 I could be champion. It's, it's not over yet. Uh, Ron Howard voice. It was absolutely over. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I could smell the burnt flesh on that burn like it was so. (laughs) Oh, God, you got him to the bone, Regal, to the bone. (laughs) Megan, Bob, what does your human heart feel? I guess mostly just kind of disappointment at the Kruger-Zane match. I mean, I felt a lot of things, but that was primarily amongst it because it was the last thing that I was meant to feel. And so I feel kind of bad admitting that that match just left me kind of like, oh, I didn't get to see much of Sami Zayn. And that's a bummer. But, you know, this is a safe space for us to admit whenever a match just yeah. doesn't do it. And uh, that match is a real waste of Sami Zayn. So kind of like, no, all right. Miles, what does your human heart feel? Yeah, I have something written down about Bailey and friendship. But honestly, like I was kind of reaching for something because what I really felt in this episode was nothing. <laughs> Yeah, it's not an episode that fills you with a lot of various feelings, except for how great Natalia is. I did love the Bailey Natalia exchange, and they're just like Bailey's super happy that somebody's being nice to her, and like Natalia is just super sweet to her. So like, I did feel that, I and I could tell that you felt that, which is yeah. good. But other than that, not not yeah. the best episode of NXT, guys. No, and I feel so bad that Cassius Ono went out on a dud. Like, oh, he didn't deserve that. He should have gone out in that sweet Luke Harper match. Yeah, seriously. <sighs> That thing was fucking great. Well, those were the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. We're going to get to the wrestling history of the week in just a moment, but first, we have to hear Bob's fanfic explaining last episode's wrestling move of the week, which was Sharpshooter. So, Bob, take it away. Naru Osaka lay passed out at the feet of the Demogorgon as it faced off against Sailor Moon and Tuxedo Mask. (laughs) Tuxedo Mask straightened his cape. Sailor Moon, these villains are despicable. They have turned a place of learning into a battlefield. That is unforgivable. Teach them the ABCs of justice. Sailor Moon put her hands on her hips, glaring at the Demogorgon. I am Sailor Moon, champion of justice. On behalf of the moon, I will right wrongs and triumph over evil. And that means you. The Demogorgon lunged, mouth open wide. Sailor Moon ducked and delivered a punishing uppercut from below. Tuxedo Mask winced at the loud click as the Demogorgon's many teeth slammed together in the empty high school gymnasium. 
that makes it sound like the teeth are rattling together in the gymnasium rather than that the sound <laughs> that's happening in the gymnasium. I'm not going to fix it in the piece of writing that I've done. I just want to make it clear that I am aware. <laughs> the Demogorgon stomped in outrage, unhinging its jaws to screech furiously. Tuxedo Mask curled his lip as the Demogorgon reached to swipe an arm at Sailor Moon. A true fighter would never hit a beautiful young girl. Instead, it would gently embrace her. The Demogorgon <laughs> paused and looked uncomfortable. It definitely wasn't into young girls and wasn't sure how it was supposed to feel about this admonition. <laughs> Shouldn't the young girl decide what to do with her body instead of having it randomly embraced? I mean, Tuxedo Mask is like 16 years old or whatever, so maybe that was okay that he was hanging out with 15-year-olds, but geez. The Demogorgon was going to launch into a spiel about the importance of bodily autonomy, but Sailor Moon <laughs> snuck up behind it, grabbing its legs and crossing them at the ankle. Sailor Moon stepped between its crossed legs and sat back, bending the Demogorgon's spine painfully. I stand for love, and I also stand for justice, and in the name of the moon, I will punish you! Sailor sharpshooter attack! The Demogorgon <laughs> tapped out immediately, slamming its claws on the gymnasium floor. Sailor Moon and Tuxedo Mask posed triumphantly as it lay there panting. God, it needed to find another school to haunt. Juban Public Middle School was the worst. <laughs> and uh, uh. that is the end of that story. <laughs> and the idea for Sailor Moon and Tuxedo Mask were provided by Danny Blackson, ENT on Twitter, and Fat Blunt 69 Do you want to say it? Fat! Blunt 69! He gave me the Demogorgon, the natural enemy for the Sailor Sentry. I appreciated the uh, the description there. Very good description of the Sailor Family Sharpshooter, as they call it in WWE. <laughs> <laughs> well, now it is time to get into Wrestling History of the Week. And Bob, it is time for part three of the history of women's wrestling as seen through the lens of WrestleMania. Heck yeah! If this is your first episode where we've done this, uh, I wrote a thing about women's wrestling as seen through the lens of WrestleMania, and uh, we're going through it every, you know, five episodes or so. It seems like we've gotten into a, a rhythm of every five episodes, so we're going to keep that going for now. Um, unfortunately, I've been kind of trying to give these out in like very bite-sized chunks, but this next part, I couldn't find a good way to um, make it short. Uh, so That's it's right. going to be a lot, uh, Bob, and I'm sorry for that. On the other hand, there'll be a lot of things, you know, these tend to be very specific. So I feel like sometimes the more content I can give you for your fanfic, the more avenues you might have available to you. Yeah, um, I agree. And also, fortunately, uh, you have two weeks for this one because we're going to have Jeff Stormer on our podcast for the next episode. We are. It's going to be great. Yeah, I'm very excited. All right, guys, strap in because it's going to be a long one. If you recall, uh, we just finished talking about WrestleMania one. We talked about Fabulous Moolah. We talked about uh, Wendy Richter and the original screw job with uh, Richter losing to the spider lady who was Moolah in disguise. And we mentioned that at WrestleMania 2, which featured the fabulous Mula defeating her protege Velvet McIntyre in only a couple of minutes for the Women's Championship, there was another woman on the show who would come to define women's wrestling going forward. That is what we are talking about today. So, Miss Elizabeth was a manager, valet, love interest, plot device, and trophy for men like Macho Man Randy Savage, George the Animal Steel, Hulk Hogan, and Ric Flair. She was not an in-ring performer. She never wrestled a match in her WWF career. 
but she was beloved by the WWF audience and her on-screen association and real-life romantic relationship with Savage, the biggest name in the game aside from Hogan, meant that she got significantly more attention than any woman fighting on a given show. Mm. Now, Elizabeth can hardly be held responsible for women's wrestling hitting its nadir at the end of the 1980s, but it can't be argued that her rise to fame directly coincided with that decline. Mm. The women's championship was not defended at WrestleMania 3. Mula was still champion, the reign that begun under a spider mask having been interrupted for a mere six days during a tour of Australia. Instead of wrestling at the big show, Mula accompanied the King Harley Race to the ring as a manager for his match with the Junkyard Dog. Her job, it was explained, was to place Race's crown on his head after he won the match. Okay. Mula was announced as the Queen of Wrestling and as the WWF Women's Champion, but did not wear her championship belt to the ring. Mm. Later in the show, Miss Elizabeth was at ringside for an Intercontinental Championship match between Savage and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, a contest that is still remembered today as one of the greatest of all time. Harley Race's match lasted a little over four minutes. Savage and Steamboat went almost 15. Savage and Elizabeth were featured even more prominently at WrestleMania 4, which was built around a tournament to crown the new WWF World Heavyweight Champion. Savage wrestled four times that night and ended up winning the tournament and the world title. God. With Elizabeth by his side for each and every victory. The show went off the air with Elizabeth in the ring celebrating with both Savage and Hogan. Meanwhile, while Mula had finally relinquished the women's championship to the supremely talented, sensational Sherry Martell, Martell did not defend her title that evening. In fact, she was only involved in the show at all because she also happened to play a completely different character named Peggy Sue, who was dating the Elvis impersonator Honky Tonk Man. Oh my god. Peggy Sue accompanied Honky Tonk to the ring at WrestleMania 4. Neither the Sherry Martell character nor the women's championship appeared at all. Mm. Now, rumor has it that something very different was supposed to have happened at WrestleMania 5, and this shit is wild. The original WWF Women's Tag Team Championship is poorly remembered today, as it was rarely defended at major events and was retired in 1989. But it did exist, and at one point there were plans to use it as a springboard for women's wrestling as a whole. So the story goes that in 1987, the Glamour Girls, uh, Moolah trainees Leilani Kai and Judy Martin, who were in the midst of a years-long reign as tag team champions, successfully sold Vince McMahon on the idea of importing Japanese talent to use in the women's division. Ooh. Now, Japan, by this time, was worlds ahead of the United States when it came to women's wrestling. All Japan Women's Pro Wrestling, an all-female promotion, had opened its doors in 1968 and had turned its wrestlers into cross-promotional rock stars. Kai and Martin wanted to introduce the Japanese style, which was hard-hitting, high-flying, and generally exciting, to an American audience, and they wanted to break Moolah's stranglehold on the division. McMahon agreed, and at the first Royal Rumble, the very first one in January 1988, Norio Tateno and Itsuki Yamakaze, collectively known as the Jumping Bomb Angels, defeated the Glamour Girls for the Tag Team Championship in a 17-minute-long 2 out of 3 falls match that brought wow. audiences screaming to their feet. The reaction to these Japanese newcomers was so strong that later that year, WWF sent the Glamour Girls on a tour of Japan with the intent of building excitement for another match between the two teams at WrestleMania. 
According to Leilani Kai, these plans were directly sabotaged by Mula, this time without the knowledge or approval of McMahon. <gasps> Kai claims that while the Glamour Girls were in Japan preparing for a title match against the Angels that the Angels were scheduled to win, Mula called the Japanese office and told them the WWF wanted the Glamour Girls to regain the championship instead. No such decision had actually been made, but Kai and Martin couldn't get anyone else from the WWF on the phone, so they went through with the change. They returned to the United States to find a furious Vince McMahon, who <gasps> refused to believe their story about Moolah's phone call, fired both of them, and severed the working relationship with the Angels and AJW. Oh my god. So there was no women's tag team championship match at WrestleMania 5, as there was supposed to be. Uh, far from it. Instead of resuscitating the women's division, the tag titles were retired, with Kai and Martin as the last recognized champions. Meanwhile, the reigning women's champion, Rockin' Robin, was relegated to singing America the Beautiful at the start of the show. Holy shit. Elizabeth, of course, was a key player in the main event match for the world championship between Savage and Hogan. By the time WrestleMania VI came around, it was over. A year and a week after the women's tag titles were deactivated, the women's title followed suit. Ironically, this was the first WrestleMania in four years to actually include women performing in the ring, as Martell teamed up with Savage in the WWF's first mixed tag team match. Martell had replaced Elizabeth by this point as Savage's manager, but naturally, Liz was still involved in the story. She reunited with Savage at WrestleMania 7 after fighting off the traitorous Martell, and later in 1991, the two were quote-unquote married on television in one of the WWF's most iconic early moments. In reality, they had been married for years. Now, again, I want to just emphasize this. Elizabeth is not to blame for the lack of women's wrestling in the WWF during this period, but she is emblematic of it. She was the female face of the company for five straight years, the single most recognizable woman in wrestling, and she wasn't a wrestler. She also wasn't a character with any agency. She revolved ceaselessly around Savage, at times the adored and adoring wife who made fans want to cheer him even when he was a heel, at times the victim of his villainous tendencies, and always, always a prize to be won. She represented everything Vince McMahon wanted women on his program to be. It's sadly appropriate that her real-life relationship with Savage was also characterized by jealousy and violence, only without the benefit of a writer or a happy ending. Ugh. Elizabeth left WWF in 1992. Her final WWF storyline, similar to most of her other storylines, revolved around claims by Ric Flair, whose character was notoriously lascivious, that the two had slept together. In fact, Flair's exact words were, quote, she was mine before she was yours, neatly underlining Elizabeth's role as a trophy. Mm. As part of the story, Flair produced photos of Savage and Elizabeth that he doctored, replacing Savage with himself. <laughs> yeah. Savage defeated Flair at WrestleMania 8. After the match, Flair cornered Elizabeth and forcibly kissed her, Ugh. an act that got him a series of slaps from Elizabeth and a post-match beating from Savage. It would be Elizabeth's final major appearance for WWF, her actual final appearance during an overseas match between Savage and up-and-comer Shawn Michaels would air in the summer of 1992, around the same time as the doctored Flair photos were printed in the kayfabe adhering WWF magazine. Mm. In August, Elizabeth and Savage divorced for real, and Savage printed a letter in that same magazine explaining the situation to the fans in a strange pre-curtain call departure from kayfabe. 
With Elizabeth gone and all WWF's women's championships rendered inactive, women's representation in the company reached its nadir. To that point, at least. Nah. The opening match of WrestleMania 9 featured Sherry Martell at ringside, managing Tatanka in his match with Michaels, who was himself accompanied by the debuting Luna Vachon. Their portion of WrestleMania in total lasted about 20 minutes. After that, the only women appearing on camera were the ones in the crowd. Jesus. So, uh, <laughs> on that cheerful note... Yeah. Don't worry, Bob, it gets better. Okay. And then it gets worse, but then it also gets better. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, Alright, well, thank you for sitting through that lengthy uh, diatribe on um, women's wrestling between WrestleMania 2 and 9. Yeah. <laughs> it's covering seven years of time. I appreciate it, and come back for Bob's fanfic explaining, or in some way relating to, uh, this piece of wrestling history. Yeah. Alright, Bob. Well, we gotta go, but before we can... We have to do the cheap pop quiz. Yeah, we do, because I'm going to get points. Question number one. Next episode, you will meet one of my very favorite tag teams of all time, (laughs) because I'm a total mark for a certain era of Ring of Honor. (laughs) In that company, they were called the American Wolves. What are they called in NXT? Oh, boy. A, the American Alphas. B, the American Pitbulls. C, the American Lions, D, the American Dragons, or E, the American Eagles. I'm going to say the American Alphas. American Alphas. All right. Question number two. Also next episode, you'll be introduced to the concept of a lumberjack match. Yeah, I'm excited. I don't know what it is, but I want to know. What, pray tell, is a lumberjack match? Oh, boy. Is it A, A match in which the ring is surrounded by other members of the roster, referred to as Lumberjacks. If the wrestlers leave the ring, the Lumberjacks are allowed to attack them and or throw them back into the ring. (laughs) B. A match where the goal is not to pin or submit your opponent, but rather to touch all four ring posts in a certain order before your opponent can, a process known as clearing the trees. C. Also known as an axe handle on a pole match. The only rules change here is that it is legal to strike your opponent with a, quote, solid oak axe handle. Mm. The axe handle begins the match hanging from a pole above one of the ring posts and must be retrieved during the match in order to be used. D, a match in which all participants must be dressed as lumberjacks. God, I hope. Or E, a match in which all the participants must come to the ring singing the Monty Python song, I'm a lumberjack and I'm okay. God, I want D and E to be true, but I think, man, if it's not A, A needs to happen. A is great. I'm choosing A because I want to see a gang surrounding this ring and going, ah, rutabaga, rutabaga, rutabaga. (laughs) All right. And question number three, that lumberjack match, Bob, is also an NXT championship match between Adrian Neville and Bo Dallas. So who wins and why? Is it A, Neville wins cleanly and is your new NXT champion? B. Neville wins after some random dude attacks Bo Dallas for no reason. C. Bo wins after some random dude distracts the referee for no reason, allowing Bo to hit Neville with a low blow. D. Bo wins after some random dude distracts the referee for no reason, and then Tyler Breeze also interferes behind the ref's back. Or E. Bo wins cleanly and is still your NXT champion. I'm gonna say Bo with a low blow. Bo with the low blow. I like that uh, that word combination. Thank you. It's fun. All right. Choosing C. 
Well, uh, come back in two weeks for the answers to this edition of the Cheap Pop Quiz and to see how Bob did. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's about all we got for this episode of The Next Wrestling Fan. Bob, as always, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. And Miles. Yes, what's up? Thank you also for playing Hatful Boyfriend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're fucking welcome. <laughs> I'm sure I am. Um, <laughs> so the Hatoful Boyfriend episode is now up for patrons on our Patreon. And yep. um, we went on a, a soulful journey that took us, you know, right into the heart of what it is to be a pigeon or a dove. I hear the phrase like, oh, we went on a journey a lot. Like we talk about that a lot, you know, and. And oh, it's of kind of a common phrase, especially I feel like in podcasting for some oh, reason. Yeah, it's a, a real stock go to you can. Pull. Yeah, but like in this case, I'm here to tell you, we legitimately did like go on a journey where Bob and I were both forever changed by the end of it. And Kit was like our guide, you know, the, yes. you know, the, the, the character that comes in, you know, serves as the, the protagonist guide through this new bizarre world they find themselves in. Kit was that a was real a, Gandalf. Kit was a real Gandalf for us, <laughs> including her just absolute love for eagles and all things avian, as it turns yeah. out. Um, uh, go check out that episode, guys, because I I don't know that I'm proud of it, but I, I I'm glad it exists. And <laughs> we are going to do a follow up because that is how deep the conspiracy goes. Y'all. Apparently, I we didn't even scratch the surface of the stupid game. So Bob and I are going to actually end up delving deeper into it, and we're gonna we're gonna come back to it with Kid at a later date. Um, but to find out why, you're gonna need to listen to the episode. And uh, in order to listen to the episode, you need to be a patron. Yes. And in order to do that, you need to go over to patreon.com slash NXT wrestling fan. If you become a patron, you will get a wrestler name and gimmick, and uh, we will insert you into the wonderful world of the next wrestling fan wrestling promotion, which is still the name of this thing, although that might change. And let me <laughs> tell you, let me tell you why that might change soon, Bob, because here's the thing on this episode for the first time since we started our Patreon. We have no new patrons to uh, okay. to bring into the promotion. Now, I have actually been waiting for this to happen because I've oh, been waiting for an excuse to take the next step with the next wrestling fan wrestling promotion. There is a game that is free. It is called Extreme Warfare Revenge. And this is a game that I used to play with friends way back in the day. There's probably like, honestly, there's probably like better text based wrestling simulators now. But this is the one that I still go to because it's the one I know and it's my favorite. OK, Extreme Warfare Revenge allows you to basically take on the role of running a promotion. Like you book your feuds and you see how the matches go and, you know, how the crowd reacts and, and you know, wrestlers become stars or they don't or they get hurt or they don't. You know, it's fun. There's also a file editor built into the game, which allows you to manipulate anything you want to about the existing wrestlers that are built into the game or create new ones and oh create new promotions. So here's what we're going to do. We currently have 26 patrons here are the next wrestling fan, which means we have 26 characters. 24 of those are pro wrestlers and two of them are managers. That, I think, is just a great number for for this game. This is a yeah. great like starting roster. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go into my copy of Extreme Warfare Revenge. I'm going to make everybody, make all of our, our characters in that game, 
and I'm going to start playing the game with Yay! the characters, and we're going to keep you updated over the course of our show to see what happens. When you start this game, you have to input which feuds you want to, to build. So I wanted to give you guys a little bit of a hint as to... Uh, what we're going to start out doing, okay? So, obviously, we have to start out with uh, with Neil versus Changeling, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Changeling is the current champion. Neil is her brother. It's perfect. So, that's going to be our, our, our main event feud. Our next feud is going to be uh, Harley Hale versus Watership Doom. Mm-hmm. Because Watership Doom believes that Harley Hale's arrival is a harbinger of the apocalypse. And uh, ah. that he needs to stop her in order to prevent the end times. We're going to do La Blanca versus Minerva Frost Mm. because I just think that's a great pairing of characters. And also Natasha and um, Marissa have been opponents in Smash Fiction a couple of times. So I thought that was fun. (laughs) And then, of course, we have to do Courtney Barrister, attorney at Raw versus the rules lawyer, Kevin Van Hoos. Oh, naturally. That's an obvious go-to. Yeah, and I think in order to take full advantage of all of his resources, Kevin Van Hoos has hired the services of uh, the manager for hire, Professor X. Ah. So he's going to be involved in that feud. Extreme Warfare Revenge only allows you to do eight feuds at a time. So in order to uh, get everybody involved, I had to do four singles feuds and then four tag team feuds. The four tag team feuds. So first of all, the big one, Two characters that I think ideologically fit very well together are Sidriel Constellation and Danny Blackson, the Dark Dragon, former oh, champions, each of them. Absolutely. They are all about fighting evil and like standing against the darkness. And so they're going to be in a feud with uh, Ferguson Locke and Flanagan Slay, who, as you may recall, is like a demon and his hired like assassin buddy. So mm. it's going to be a light versus darkness feud there. I haven't announced this until now, but I decided to make a tag team out of Matt Matrix and Sebastian Couture because okay. they're both kind of a uh, slightly snobbish. You know, one of them is in a math, one of them is in art, but like it's the marriage of like math and art snobbery, mm. right? Like it's just, it just can't be beat. And they're going to be taking on the team of uh, Harry Bumblespike of Bumblespike Hall and the man of some consequence, Oliver <laughs> Silvers, uh, who ostensibly are a heel tag team, but I think their like comedic antics have been getting them over with the crowd, and they're slowly starting to turn face. So Agreed. that's that's what's going to be happening there. So I really wanted to do a feud between Professor Rutherford Hunt, the werewolf professor who turned on his werewolf partner, <laughs> against uh, fellow teacher wrestler Carol Staples, who, as you recall, is the one who... Uh, <laughs> encourages her opponents to learn how to escape her holds. But in order to assist her in her fight, she is going to have former champion Seth Luna on her side because he still needs to get revenge on Rutherford Hunt for turning on him. Oh, yeah. And Rutherford Hunt's partner in this feud is going to be Bryony Blood because I think those two characters also go well together. I fear that Bryony Blood is, is using the professor for her own ends. I mean, it could be. It could be. And finally, Prometheus Jones, the sculpted... Adonis of a man is teaming up with uh, Flash Orion, the alien being manipulated by her manager, Paul Jeffries, mm-hmm. uh, and they are taking on the team of the sort of futuristic uh, millennial team of Crash Tag and yeah. Fat Blunt 69, the yes. pot smoking robot, which I thought was a ver- another very good pairing. So I love it. Those are our eight feuds as we go into uh, to this little exercise. I'll be providing an update in each episode as to like where things are going and uh, how it should is progressing. 
at the very least for a while, I'm going to let the storyline in Extreme Warfare Revenge play out with this group. Because I kind of like the idea of like doing it with this kind of this is our initial group of wrestlers. You know, this is our yeah. like original roster. Thank you to everybody who's been a patron of us yes. so far. Um, we really appreciate you. And I just want to like do this thing to celebrate all of you. Like our first core group of patrons your presence is invaluable and so appreciated yeah uh, i want to do this for you i'm here for this fan fiction thank you all so much for listening and uh, we will see you again in two weeks with a new episode of the next wrestling fan bye The Next Wrestling Fan is produced by Miles Schneiderman with logo design by Claire Mulcairn. Special thanks to Rafael Medina for our theme song, Learn Buckle. You can follow his creative work on Twitter at EarthMofo. Also thanks to Kevin McLeod for additional music and stingers, which are licensed under Creative Commons. Find his work at www.incompetech.com. We're on Twitter and Facebook as the NXT Wrestling Fan. Come talk to us. You can also follow Miles on Twitter at MJ Schneiderman and Megan Bob at Megan Bobness. Visit our website at nxtwrestlingfan.com for show notes, episode transcripts, and more. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, feel free to email us at nxtwrestlingfan at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks. It's like having a thing that Kmart is run by the Illuminati or something. Are you saying it's they, not? Ah, you know, I mean, I don't know. Is it still open? I like the idea that the that it's not open anymore and the Illuminati just sort of went, eh, we're just kind of over this Kmart thing. It was doing all I right, mean, but... If you don't know, that would imply that you can't find a Kmart. And if <sighs> you can't find a Kmart, then perhaps the people who work there would be known as werewolves because where oh my where God. are they sorry oh i i'm i'm God. stopping myself let's go let's <laughs> <laughs>